Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another exciting episode of NucleCast. Of course, as always, I am your host, Adam Lowther, and today we have a great guest with us. Of course, that is David Campbell. He is the Executive Vice President for Energy Solutions, and he's got, if, if you don't know David, he's got about 30 years of experience in the nuclear industry, everything from defense programs to waste to congressional and communications. It's a pretty broad background. And today we wanted to talk about some of those early days in NSA's history and particularly that sort of transition period from the Bush administration to the Obama administration where we realized that our, the reliable replacement warhead and RNEP were, were not going to make it and we were going to have to modernize. And how was that transition and what was happening at NNSA at that point? And then we want to also talk about cleanup and what all we're doing. And this is a topic we've, we've never discussed on Nuclecast. So what are we doing at Los Alamos? And, you know, what are we doing around the country to make sure that as we plan for modernization and new facilities, that we're doing what it takes to maintain uh, a you know environmental uh, environmentally friendly approach to this, and that we're not uh, putting anybody at risk. And as David pointed out, nuclear is the only industry that knows where every ounce of its waste is gone. So that's a that's a that's a great point. With that long introduction, David, welcome to Nuclecast. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. So let's go back. I know your career goes back to like 1989-ish, but I want to sort of go to that midway point in about 2007 when you left industry, came to NNSA, and you came in part because RRW was not going to make its way through Congress, and we had to do something different. Can you give us the background of that period and sort of how we got on track for the current modernization program we're on? Sure. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so, so my, my, uh, my history is a little bit different than, than many of your guests because um, I've been in and out of the defense side uh, out um, for, for quite a, quite a bit, although still related, but back in those days um, I was actually working for an environmental company, uh, both, you know, core work and DOE work and all that sort of stuff. But I was still very engaged with the industry, uh, still very engaged with DOE and, and with my old NNSA colleagues. Uh, I had started my uh, career in defense programs as a contractor, but, but at headquarters, knew many of the, the senior execs and, and all that sort of stuff. And so what happened was, you know, coming in on the end of 2006, 2007, it was pretty clear RRW wasn't going to, to, to move forward. 
there was a drive within NNSA uh, recognition amongst the, the whole defense establishment that things had to happen on the, on the, on the modernization side of things. But they, they just hadn't done a great job in selling the program. So, so there was an initiative by, by Bill Barker, who was uh, chief of staff at the time. Um, he unfortunately passed away in the fall, but he was one of my mentors. Um, I knew Tom Diagostino, who was slated to become the undersecretary at the time. I was involved in a lot of political stuff. So, so I got reached out, you know, had to go through the White House type of process. But, um, you know, they needed someone to come in and help them communicate uh, work the Hill, uh, work the interagency activities to really come up with the program of, of selling why why they needed to modernize, even in a time when they were negotiating the new START agreements, which eventually happened in 2010. So it was kind of this, you know, we need to modernize while we're reducing our stockpile, right? right? Yeah. So it was an interesting nuance that we had to go through. And so what did you end up doing as far as how, how did you overcome this challenging period? So what we did is, you know, I came in and, and had a, you know, there's a great team of people there. Um, uh, you had, um, you know, you had some guests on before um, who were involved uh, with the program, you know, so we had a good team in place. Um, you know, again, Tom Diagostino was just coming um, as he was already defense programs. He was the head of defense programs, but he had been nominated and was going through the confirmation process um, to, to be NA1. <clears throat> Bill Ostendorf was there. Um, so what we did is, is really try to keep you know, keep it simple. We had to sort of go on a campaign and on a roadshow to, to really try to get, you know, the committees and Congress on board with, you know, why you needed to do this. Um, the other thing we did, I think differently, and I think happens a lot more now, but wasn't really happening at the time was getting DOD involved. DOD's relationship with the armed services committees and with the appropriations committees was very different than DOE's. Um, and so, you know, I remember, you know, in a, in a couple of, of iterations of meetings, you know, getting beat up pretty good by folks on the Hill about certain <laughs> things. And I'm like, why, why are we taking this? You know, we, we are providing a service to DOD. DOD has the requirement. You know, we're here trying to fulfill their requirement. So, so that initiated a lot of, of um, interaction and, and ultimately joint um joint appearances, joint testimony between, um, you know, General uh, Chilton at the time, who was head of uh, STRATCOM and uh, Tom Diagostino. And, and so we really went more on a campaign of why this was needed. Um, so that there was that aspect to it. The other is you had to put in place the formal sort of what I'd call the executable doc, you know, documentation that allowed you to do the things you needed to do to the facilities, um, you know, the, the environmental impact statements, all that sort of stuff. Well, you mentioned environmental impact statements, and this is one of the things. So in previous guests we've had, and we, we just had Mike Schultz, who is the acting deputy chief of staff for A-10. And one of the things he said was that we can't really move any faster in, in this modernization effort. And so I, as I've thought about it and we've had other guests, I've, I've often wondered is, you know, like the environmental, environmental side of it and some of the safety side of it, is it, 
is it where it needs to be? Is it overly onerous? Is it, is it an impediment to, you know, as we watch the Chinese, for example, are going to quintuple the size of their arsenal and the Russians, you know, they have a substantial tactical advantage over us. And, you know, the, the Iranians may go nuclear and then the North Koreans are saying they're going to be our peer. And, and we, we're not really making progress particularly quickly. And, you know, everything's getting slipped, you know, we've, and I just wonder what are those impediments that are keeping us from being able to move faster and to build the facilities and the capabilities we need? There are many, uh, <laughs> um, you know, one is our system, you know, we, we, we give everyone a voice, you know, as, as we should, uh, but, but, you know, that drives some, you know, collaboration and delays and, and inclusion, which is hard to, you know, it's hard to do things speedy uh, when, when that's sort of a cultural part of our, you know, our, 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 our country, um, you know, obviously politics get, you know, is part of it too. Funding is part of it. Um, what we were dealing with back then was, was you had to have sort of the, you know, you know, the, in government, you know, there's, there's the policy, but then you have the, the national environmental policy act. You have to, you have to have done the assessments to at least convince the public and other policymakers and in, in the Hill that, you know what the implications of your actions are going to be. And, um, and we were doing it comprehensive wide, you know, you, there, there's a whole different, you know, tons of different types of documents you can do, but we were trying to essentially do one that said, this is to modernize the entire complex, you know, so we were doing, dealing with, uh, you know, how do we, you know, what are we going to do about special nuclear materials at Livermore versus Los Alamos versus here? Cause the missions were changing, uh, you know, you know, Nevada test site, you know, things like that, you know, and then we were also proposing building new things. We were, we were talking about the CMRR at, at Los Alamos and, and um, you know, where were we going to do the pits? Was it going to be Los Alamos or Savannah river? You had to, you had to think about all these things when you were decades out from actually doing them. And so that, that, that had initiated before I got there, but as happens in government, it, you know, it was kind of just lagging along. And, and so probably the one thing that I, I brought best that helped it was, was kind of a little bit of a commercial, you know, project execution, get things done approach where, you know, really try to get the understanding, drive, you know, the, the organizations within NSA that were responsible for performing and, and putting these documents together to really go get it done. You know, you have to have public meetings. You have to do all this sort of stuff. You have to engage with stakeholders. So it was really about getting a schedule to go get it all done, do the analysis, get the labs, get the production facilities on board with, you know, what they thought their mission was and all that sort of stuff. So it's just a comprehensive, you know, you know, labor intensive exercise to get all these done. Yeah. And, and that sort of brings me to the, the present, I guess, in terms of as we're this modernization program is underway and we're trying to build new facilities at all of the weapons labs. And part of what you do now is clean up these facilities. And I wonder as you were to, you know, if we, many of our listeners may not necessarily be expert in, you know, nuclear cleanup. So, 
they they know very little about it. And there may be, you know, average Americans who listen to the podcast and wonder, you know, how dangerous are these facilities that, you know, they, they've heard horror stories about Rocky Flats and they, they wonder, you know, should we be building new pits at Los Alamos and, and should, you know, Savannah River and, ha- you know, what, what are the, the environmental ramifications and, you know, it's not World War II anymore. Can you sort of create a picture for folks as to what these, you know, concerns, environmental implications, what are they really? What what is the ground truth? Yeah, so so you you know I'll start by saying you you mentioned Rocky Flats and and you know people who are concerned and you know there's we have plenty of history for people to be concerned. I mean you know, we didn't always do things right, but the beauty of Rocky Flats is Rocky Flats no longer exists. It's, <laughs> it's it shows you can actually solve the problem, which we did as a nation and in a number of other sites just like that. Um, you know, particularly when you're dealing with with the weapon side of the program, uh, you know, commercial um, nuclear, you know, power is 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 more simple. Um, you know, we're dealing with spent fuel. You're dealing with some byproducts. Um, you kind of you, you kind of know what it is. Um, you know, it's very controllable and, and everything else. The weapons mission's a little bit different. Um, you know, so, you know, similar nuclear stuff. Um, but because we're, you know, we, we also deal with, with, with interesting, intricate, weird stuff too, right? You know, because, you know, the LEP programs, right? You have to, you know, there's materials in there, classified materials, things like that, that, you know, you know that, are, that are challenging. You know, so from a radioactivity perspective, yeah, it's, you know, there's concern. And, um, you know, you have to manage it safely. You have to have the appropriate engineered controls in place. Um, the, the appropriate systems to protect you and all that. And we have all that. Um, you know, certainly today we, you know, as opposed to maybe the forties and fifties and, and, and early sixties, when there was a rush to get all this done, you know, we know where everything is. We know how to manage it. We know, you know, what type of containers to put it in. We know all that sort of stuff. Um, we know what systems to use to, to protect the workforce all, all that, you know, the, the biggest challenge in nuclear is, you know, we, as a country, we haven't decided, you know, where to put it, you know, um, right. but once, you know, once you have it in casks, you have it stabilized, it's, you know, it's, it's stabilized. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to leak. Um, you know, low level waste is easily dealt with. We deal it, you know, we, we deal with that. My company in particular, we we're the leaders in, in low level waste uh, management. We, you know, we have facilities that, that dispose of these things. You know, the biggest challenge for a place like Los Alamos, for instance, is as they try to modernize is to what degree and how quickly can they clear out space to build new facilities where they're trying to clear out, you know, their existing space. You know, they don't have a lot of just extra space yeah. lying around that that becomes the biggest challenge in dealing with waste. You have to you have to you know, you have to pull it out. You got to clean it up. You got to have a place to put it. You know, a lot of a lot of the stuff coming out of Los Alamos is, is transuranic waste. Um, there's, you know, the, the whip facility in New Mexico, New Mexico is where it's intended to be housed, but you got to deal, deal with the waste first before you can ship it. You know, so it's, it's a logistical challenge more than we don't know what we're doing challenge. It's just, is there enough money to do it? Are there enough people to do it? Uh, do we have enough time to do it? You know, type of thing. 
Yeah. So when we we're at that time where we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, could you give us sort of a sense of what it means to clean up these older facilities like, you know, Los Alamos is a great example or Savannah River and sort of what is that process from sort of end to end so that our listeners can can create a mental image of, of what actually happens. So you're listening to Nuclecast. We're talking to David Campbell and we'll be right back. This episode of Nuclecast is brought to you by the AMLA Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back. We're talking to David Campbell, and he was just going to create a mental picture for all of us as to what it means to clean up these facilities so that, as he mentioned before the show, so that you can reuse facilities and put new equipment in them. And so so what exactly does that look like? Well, it's a complex process and involves a lot of <clears throat> planning, um, um, you know, a lot of um, logistics, a lot of understanding uh, of the of what you're dealing with. Um, you know, if you're cleaning up an old facility, the first thing is, you know, you have to you have to be able to characterize the facility. You have to understand not only what wastes are there um, and that you need to get out, but what is the you know, uh, what is the facility contaminated with itself? You know, the, the walls, the, the ground, the soil underneath, you know, do you tear down the whole facility? Can you reuse the facility? Um, so there's a lot of planning and that planning takes a long, a long time. Um, and, and it, because you're also trying to establish, you know, the budgets for this and get approval for it, you know, so there's, there's an art and there's a dance that happens here that, um, you know, and there's competing priorities and, you know, and things of that nature. So, so the characterization and the planning is, is the first part. Then it's a matter of, of, of establishing, you know, um, you know, the, the government in, in, in this side of the nuclear space, you know, they, they oversee things, but it's all contractors who do it. So you gotta, you know, the government has to drive the contractors to have the right contracts to make sure the right amount of money is there to, to budget for these things. Um, you have to know where the waste is, is going to go. Um, most of the waste, I'd say 80% of it, there, there is um, an ability, you know, there is a defined pathway for, for those wastes to be disposed of, to be treated, uh, things of that nature. But there is, you know, there is wastes that are what we call orphaned waste. You know, there are some that have some constituents that have some issues that you, you know, we're still working through. How do you deal with them? And, and generally, we just set those aside until we can find a, a solution for them. So, you know, um, you know, there is, you know, uh, from a disposal perspective, uh, there are government disposal facilities um, like at Nevada can take a certain amount of waste. There are commercial facilities. Our, my company, uh, Energy Solutions, has uh, uh, a low level waste disposal cell in, uh, out in Nevada or out in Utah. Um, and we take waste from every DOE site. 
um, you know, to, to help with the cleanup programs. You know, some of it involves um, not to not to belabor the point, but some of it involves, you know, there, there's a political aspect to it. The states are involved. You know, we're dealing with 56 million gallons of of radioactive waste uh, out at, at Hanford. Um, that waste is considered high level waste. Most of it isn't high level waste, but there is a particular determination because it came from the defense side of the house was reprocessed. It should be high level waste, but the radionuclides would tell you it's low level waste, much of it. So, so working through these, what seemed like easy problems to solve, they're, they're bureaucratic, they're state involved, you know, so there's a lot of those type of things that take a while to get the cleanup done. Now, can you maybe explain for folks why we're focused on you know, you, you say we're, we're storing our waste. Why are we not reprocessing and reusing this waste? Uh, so you're going to try to get me in trouble. <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, other countries do it. Um, you know, J- you know, J- Japan did it, you know, France, um, England, uh, we used to do it for a short period of time. We certainly did it for the weapons program, right? We, you know, we had nine reactors at Hanford, nine at Savannah River, and we, you know, we the reactors created plutonium, and we reprocessed to to draw out the plutonium. Um, for for your audience who who may not know this, I mean, if if you do reprocess, you know, generally, um, you know, ninety six percent of what you would reprocess from spent fuel would be recovered uranium. Uh, 1% is plutonium and then 3% is actual waste. So it's a really good question. Why don't we just do that and, and keep reusing the uranium? Um, you can secure the plutonium. It's just, um, you know, it's, there's a, it's not a law, but, you know, we've had a policy in the country because, you know, we're concerned about uh, proliferation uh, that we wouldn't reprocess. There was a signal we sent started in the Carter administration in which we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't recycle fuel. We wouldn't uh, reprocess fuel. Um, doesn't doesn't by virtue you know, so, of not reprocessing, doesn't that create it creates significantly more waste? Correct. It it, it does. It, it, essentially, you have the spent fuel that doesn't have anywhere to go. Um, you know, we were you know we were building Yucca Mountain at one point because you know all the science said it was perfectly fine to to dispose of this in a geologic, a deep geologic repository. That's where most, most nations are going with their, their used fuel, their spent fuel. Um, we couldn't get it done politically here. So, so right now, you know, that's spent fuel from commercial reactors and, you know, and, and some in, in, you know, the DOE and NSA space, you know, they're, they're just stored temporarily, you know, intermediately and temporarily, however you want to call it in, in casks, big casks, very safe. Um, but you know, with no long-term home at the moment. So, it, you know, it, it, it is an interesting question. Um, you know, as we talk, you know, uh, on the sort of the new nuclear side, not the weapon side, but what are we going to do about climate change? You know, carbon free, you know, society and all that sort of stuff and nuclear, you know, people are recognizing you need more nuclear, you know, we probably need to double the capacity of, of nuclear commercial nuclear power in this country. Some of those fuels are, you know, some people are proposing fuels that are, that come from reprocessed sure. spent fuel or, or, or used fuel. So it's, 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 there's an interesting dynamic happening that it'll, it'll be interesting to see where we go as a country. 
So for those who, you know, there's, there have been, I think I read an article here recently about, you know, there was some small release at, at Los Alamos, you know, gloves had a hole or in one of the boxes, something to that effect. I, I don't remember the article offhand, but for you as, as a, somebody who cleans these sites and, you know, how, how long of a process is this? And is there, can, you know, if I talk to Greg Mello, who's, you know, he runs the Los Alamos study group and they're, you know, they're opposed to nuclear weapons. They want to see them and they see an environmental problem here. Can, can Greg and his organization and his members be confident that we can, you know, safely clean, uh, you know, any, any waste that's in these facilities at Los Alamos or, you know, at Livermore or, I mean, you pick a facility. Uh, is that something we can have significant confidence in? Well, I believe so. Yes. Um, but, but that also comes, you know, I haven't talked to Greg in, in many, many years, probably since I was in NSA. Um, you know, you need to recognize that 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 the nuclear waste, you know, some of it has a long life, right? Uh, long radioactive life. It has to be put somewhere, stored somewhere. Um, it comes from the ground. It makes sense to put it back into the ground, you know, to some degree. Um, but you know, just you know, my company, for instance, you know, we're we're at the moment we are decommissioning, you know, four four reactors around the country, right? Commercial. And those have a lifespan of, you know, eight to 12 years to get those things done. We actually own, you know, if you can believe this, um, we actually own uh, Three Mile Island 2, which was the reactor that, that, that had the accident. We own it. We're cleaning it up. Um, we didn't own it originally. We, <clears throat> we bought it from the utility to clean it up. Um, so you wouldn't take that risk. A company wouldn't take that risk if they weren't confident it could be cleaned up. So, yeah, I have full confidence, Los Alamos and Hanford and, you know, and, you know, parts of Y-12 and all that, they can be cleaned up. It's just a matter of, of the timing and, how, you know, how long do you want to take to do it? Rocky Flats is a, is a great example. That had a 70-year life. It wasn't going to be cleaned up to 70 years until the government and the stakeholders and the contractors all came together and said, let's get this done in five years. And it, it got done. You know, yeah. um, that's a matter of, of time and money, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a, what matters to you question. And exactly. And the, the money question is always one that sort of perturbs me just because as I, you know, I look at, you know, in the last two years, we've borrowed $6 trillion, you know, for COVID related stuff. And yet I, I get told that 50 billion a year, is just unaffordable. And so I, as you know, I'm, I'm fairly good with math and, and those two things don't add up. And so it seems, you know, like with the, the challenges of, uh, you know, we're not on schedule to build the 80 pits a year that we've planned at, at Los Alamos and trying to build some of the facilities at Savannah river and Y 12 that, and I'm, you know, some of it is it's labor shortages. It's all a whole host of, of issues, but I would imagine that the cleanup process can also 
be a challenge to, as you've sort of mentioned all the, you know, it's like Eisenhower said, the plan is nothing. Planning is everything. I can imagine that, that you too would find staying on schedule challenging because of all of these intervening variables that can, you know, slow you down or cause problems. What, what, what would be the big challenges that can sort of intervene to make it harder to stay on schedule? To be honest, the, the you know, there, there are technical challenges that, that certainly come up that, that make it difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it is a little bit of focus and budget and prioritization. Yeah. The, kind of like you implied, um, you know, there's only so much that's going to go towards NNSA and, and the DOE cleanup program, which all are within the same DOE budget. Um, you know, places, you know, some places like Los Alamos, you know, they have a mission and, you know, they have a long-term um, mission, you know, their focus is probably there. They still have cleanup and they still do it diligently, but you know, which, which one has a, a bigger focus for them. Right. Um, similarly, you know, if you look at just the, the environmental management program, you know, sites, you know, Hanford, uh, Portsmouth, Paducah, there's only so much money to go around on an annual basis. Right. So to some degree, you know, some people like that because there's jobs there, <laughs> so, you know, it's going to get done, but you know, maybe it's better if it gets done in 20 years versus 10. Um, you know, almost all these sites could be cleaned up faster. Um, there, you know, the pathways are mostly there. The technology is mostly there. There's, there's certainly is more you can do in technology um, to speed things up. Um, to solve, you know, some particular, you know, challenges, um, but they could all be done quicker, but there's only so much to go around. So, so in my view, that's the biggest, that's the biggest challenge. I'm not sitting here saying we should be doubling the size of the budgets, but you could, you could, you could do the focus type of effort like you did with Rocky Flats and some of those other sites for, you know, for some of the other sites. Um, but everyone likes to have their peace and, you know, and I understand that, you know, it's, it's people's lives, uh, uh, you know, that we're talking about too. So as we end the show, if I could give you the floor to offer, you know, your takeaway for the listeners, what would your sort of big takeaway or important information be to pass on to the Nuclecast audience? So trying to tie it all together, I would say, you know, you know, the industry is changing, right? And, you know, from, from when I joined NNSA, you know, from my very early career in defense programs to when I came back in NNSA, you know, NNSA has changed a lot to where it is today and the type of people that are there and, and everything else is different. A lot of those people have gone over to the cleanup side or maybe they've gone to the DOD side. But there is a strong, strong, stable nuclear industry that can feed off of each other and can help each other. Um, you know, again, I, you know, I work for a company today that is principally what you'd call a cleanup company, but we're helping the enabling mission um, of of NNSA, you know, uh, you know, Los Alamos and Livermore and helping clean up the waste and things like that, that allows that to move forward. So, so I think... I think that's a very positive thing there. Um, 
you know, and I think, you know, and even commercial practices that can come in. I think the biggest challenge that, that I think, um, that I see happening with the, with, with our deterrent, with our defense establishment and structure is, um, getting the people, right. Getting the, the STEM based people, the you know, people who want to work, uh, the, the time and the effort and the hours, uh, who want careers in this field, um, you know, because it's, you know, it's challenging work. It's, it's hard work and it's not always in the best locations, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, so I think that's a, that's a challenge. I mean, you know, we all know each other. I can give you so many examples of people I work with in the early nineties that I work with again today, people who at one point were, uh, cleaning up or building the MOX facility at Savannah river. Now is my project manager at, at three mile Island. Yeah. Um, you know, so the network's there, the people are there. We really have to figure out moving forward, you know, in addition to the policies and a lot of the things you focus on, you know, the sort of the structural stuff associated with keeping our deterrence going is we got to find the people. We got to get the young generation interested in this again. And and I think that's, you know, that that's kind of the global challenge for us. All right, David Campbell, Executive Vice President at Energy Solutions and the former Associate Administrator of NNSA. Thanks for joining us on NucleCast. Thanks, Adam. It was a lot of fun. And thanks to you, the listeners, and we'll see you on the next episode of NucleCast. Well, interesting, interesting topic. You know, when you think back in your afterthoughts about a discussion on waste, nuclear waste cleanup, you know, my my initial thought was to go to... Uh, Rocky Flats, but there's still so much that's going on as we try to clean out facilities from Los Alamos, put new, you know, new equipment in those same buildings. And then the challenges you have, you know, like at Los Alamos, you know, because they're geographically limited on the Mesa. And so there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on. And when you think about cleanup, or waste disposal, and you think about it, well, why don't we reprocess? And so it was just kind of an interesting conversation with David that it was a topic I don't think about all that often. And so I, I found it sort of informative and helping to fill some gaps for me. So hopefully you'll find it similar. This has been a production of the ANWA Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington. And this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Grumpal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NucleCast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.